somebody has very deliberately put it in the ground, whether they've put it in as a temporary resting place or whether it's something that they intend to be kept there for eternity. That's part of the reason why hoards are so interesting. This is 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. I'm Rachel Roberts, the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums, and today we'll be looking at the stories behind another object from our collections as we celebrate 100 years of our museums. Today's object is one piece of a larger collection, which takes us back to Viking Lancashire. It has travelled far to get here and speaks of vast trade routes. Today's object is a silver dirham from the Wharton Hoard. The Wharton Hoard is a collection of objects that were found by a metal detectorist in the late 1990s. The hoard is Viking in origin and was probably buried in the late 9th or early 10th century. It includes a variety of pieces of silver, including three coins, casting debris, an arm ring and small pieces of silver called ingots. In 2021, more of this hoard, including more coins and pieces of hack silver, was found in the same field. This section is now being processed through the Treasure Act. Our focus today is one of the coins, a dirham made in the Islamic Caliphate. The Vikings traded across vast areas, especially along the lines of rivers and other waterways, and these fine silver coins were valued highly by them. Through trade after trade, these coins made their way from Spain, North Africa or Central Asia to finally end up in the north of England, where they were buried and forgotten, to be found over a thousand years later. The coin is complete, and is just under three centimetres across. It's quite thin and feels lighter than modern coins when it's held. The markings on the coin can still be seen, and are made up of Arabic lettering, some running around the outside of the coin in a circle, and more running horizontally across the middle of the coin. We spoke to Dr Tom Horn, who works in communications for the Red River Archaeology Group, to shed some light on Vikings, their hordes, and the vast trading and cultural empire behind them. We began by asking what makes a hoard a hoard, and why might somebody bury a collection of silver like this? Well, what makes a hoard a hoard is, is a very good question. And I think like everybody who studies hoards has to admit first up is that we don't really have a definitive answer. But the standard one is what people would think. They're kind of safekeeping boxes. They're, they're something that you can, can bury in the ground. And if there's some trouble, if your settlement or town is being raided, you can come back, hopefully, and recover your valuables after the danger has passed. And maybe the idea with that is the ones that we discover are the ones where people didn't actually survive that episode of danger. There's also the element that it may have been for use in the afterlife. If you die, then some of your wealth is in the ground. And we know from Scandinavian uh, mythology, there's an understanding that you will, you will get access to this in the afterlife. It's somebody has very deliberately put it in the ground. We know that. Beyond that, whether they've put it in as a temporary resting place or whether it's something that they intend to be kept there for eternity, we're not actually sure. But that's part of the reason why hoards are so interesting. Much of the Wharton hoard is what could be referred to as hack silver, something that is very common in Viking hoards. 
Also in this hoard, both the arm ring and one of the coins have been broken, but they have still been kept and buried. So what is hack silver? What is hack silver? Well, just hacked up bits of silver. It could be something like an ingot, which is a finger length piece of silver. Um, and very often they are chopped up, they are hacked up and they become hacked silver. But it doesn't just happen to things like ingots, it happens to coins, it happens to jewellery as well. Why do people do it? Well, there's such a thing as a, a bullion or a meta weight economy. And that's really when you have a form of cash or currency that takes the format of silver. Now, if you just get big lumps of silver, that's a lot of money. So what you need to do, you need to make smaller denominations. So when you're weighing silver, you're using this as cash in a transaction, you're buying something from a market, you will possibly need a, a range of denominations to, to balance the other side of the scale pan. The other side of the scale pan will have weights in it. So the person you're trading with will, and you will know how much silver is being used for cash. So you need to hack up the cash just to make it balance up. A lot of the Viking world for a lot of the period aren't minting coins. So they have to come up with this form of currency. So they make up the different denominations through hacking up the silver. And a lot of it comes into the Viking world because they have a lot to sell to countries or regions or empires that do have a lot of silver, whether that's in silver coined form, but it can also be in forms of jewellery as well. So if you're a Viking and you're selling, say, animal pelts that you're getting from north of the Arctic Circle, or and I think probably the majority is you're selling things like slaves. So if you're taking those slaves to a country that has coins or lots of silver, you get the silver in return for the slaves or the animal skins or things like tar as well that you might sell. So you're getting a lot of this silver coming in. It doesn't have its value based on the issuing authority. So if it's an Arabic dirham, which are coins coming from the, the Islamic world, you might want to cut them up because one coin might be worth more than you want to pay for something back in your town or, or village in Scandinavia or Britain or Ireland. So you'll maybe chop that up into four or chop it up into half. Equally, you might want to melt down lots of silver you get and make it into something that you can wear. And there's two reasons for that. There's such a thing as the display economy. And the display economy is when you'll, you'll make it into something like an ingot and then you'll beat it out into something like an arm ring. Now you can then show off that you've got this wealth and this silver, but then very usefully you can chip off bits of that. You can hack it, if you will, hack off bits of that arm ring and that bit of jewellery, and then you can use it as cash. Basically the silver they have, they don't care what form it's in, they can hack it up because all they care about is the purity of the silver and its weight. Um, and a lot of bits of hacked silver also have little things known as test marks on them, because that's them just checking. Because someone might be giving you something, oh, this is a silver ingot that I'm going to use as cash, but it might just be a silver wash over a base metal. So often you'll find little divots in them or you'll find score marks on them. They're just checking that they're not plated. And it's also a hardness test. So you can tell if that silver has been added to, if it's too soft or too hard. The coins in our hoards are dirhams from the Islamic world. So we asked Tom to tell us a little bit more about them and how they might have got to Wharton. A dirham is a very beautiful silver coin of usually very high quality silver. They're probably mainly coming from the East, so maybe Central Asia. So that's coming from the Caliphate, which in the early 10th century is based in Baghdad. But there are also lots of emirates around that. They're largely 
independent. One of the main ones at that time is the Salmonids. And they're up in sort of Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, sort of area. We get a lot of their coins that start to come in in the 10th century because they're buying all the slaves. They're buying things like furs and pelts, amber, Baltic amber as well. Lots of these goods are coming down through these river systems and they're being exchanged. And they're being exchanged for these silver coins. And then these coins come back into to Ukraine, Russia. Then they go into the Baltic and then they spread out. And where are they spreading to? They're spreading to the uh, Scandinavian parts of Britain and Ireland. So if you're getting them in a place like Lancashire, you are, are getting them because they have been transferred several times. They've been used as cash. We have dirhams that also come from the Isle of Skye as well. There's actually one from the Ayrshire coast as well. And there's ones up in Shetland. So they get around, not in huge numbers. There's not huge numbers coming through. But what it is showing you is that ultimately this part of the world is connected to these massive trade and exchange networks that ultimately are leading to places like Baghdad and Uzbekistan and Afghanistan. So let's follow our dirham across the 10th century world to Wharton in Lancashire and find out what would have been going on in the area when this hoard was buried. This is a point where I encourage everybody to look at a map. And if you see where Wharton is, you'll see Morecambe Bay and you'll see the routes, often Roman roads that have punched through the Pennines and take you from places like York, the east of England, to the Irish Sea region. It's a really strategically important route because a lot of people will want to get from this North Sea world, where there's a lot of wealth, to the Irish Sea world, which has, particularly in Ireland, we think a, a big source of things like slaves. So you want to be able to get across that northern part of England in a sort of band between Carnforth, Kendall, sort of area, down to Liverpool, North Wales. There's a lot of trade, there's a lot of immigration. There's uh, armies that would be traveling. And now Vikings are not always traveling on boats. They have a lot of horses. So they're, they're riding horses into battle. So they'll be using these still extant Roman roads and that's taking them east and west as well. When they're coming to an area like around Lancaster, they're reaching the Irish Sea coast. And that brings you into a world of a lot of different cultures. So. Basically, the answer of what's happening in this area is not going to be very simple because you've got the Northumbrians, Mercians, the Strathclyde Britons or the Britons that are in Cumbria. But then you've also got the Irish and then you've also got the Scandinavians who have settled in Ireland as well, uh, most notably Dublin. We think Dublin is a huge trading centre and we think probably a lot's going on the Isle of Man. There's really new search coming out of that. So you get dirhams from there too. So there's silver, there's slaves, there's trade going in this area. There's a patchwork of kingdoms. It's a really multicultural, really interesting world. You're going to see slave ships moving past you're going to hear lots of different languages, see lots of different people wearing different sorts of jewellery and clothing and maybe tattoos that demarket themselves is from a, a different region as well. Now, we think this hoard is deposited between 925, 935 or so. 
what's happening at that time? Well, we have to go back a few years and, and think about what's happening in Dublin, because Dublin is the major political centre. And the Vikings have been there from about 853. Unfortunately for the Vikings, the elites and probably the armies, maybe not the traders, get kicked out of there by the Irish in 902, who've had quite enough of them at that stage. So there's a period between about 902 and 917, when a lot of these Vikings that have been in Ireland, maybe been born there, maybe been for a couple of generations, they have to go elsewhere, particularly places like Galloway and the northwest of England. So you've got to imagine this is a world where you have Vikings in it, but the Vikings may be coming from what we know as the Danelaw. They're coming maybe from Yorkshire, and they're maybe some Danish or Southern Scandinavian. And then they're also then meeting Scandinavians that have been in Ireland. People are speaking lots of languages, lots of cultures, different religions. Most people will be Christian, but not everybody. So it's really probably one of the most interesting parts of Britain in the early 10th century. To finish off, we discussed why Vikings valued silver so much and how they, and those trading with them, standardised transactions to make sure that they got the value of silver that their product was worth. Some people argue that it's just a, a means to an end. It's just the most efficient form of currency. But it's really got a twofold importance. Vikings like to wear silver jewellery. In short, they like to wear silver iron rings. They like to wear silver brooches. So if you're interested in having something that you can wear in jewellery, silver is a really good sort of middle area. It's not as rare and so expensive as gold. But it's not like, say, a copper alloy that will tarnish. And it's so common that people will not necessarily perceive a social and economic value. But yeah, so I think it's really popular because it's got these two uses. You can carry a huge amount of value in a relatively small container. They do have standards and they do develop specialised weights for it as well. So let's say you've established that the quality of silver you're happy with. Maybe you've made one of these divots on it, pecking as they call it, or you've scored across it to check that it's not fake in any way or it's not been adulterated with metals other than silver. You know for that slave or that pelt you want X amount of ounces, then you will have your own weights. So you know that eventually if the scale pans tip, then you know that in and of yourself you're happy with it. But they also know more generally that all your peers are doing something in between the mid-24 and mid-26 grams for an ounce. What you tend to see is you'll see clusters of weights. So the actual weights that's, you know, the other side of the scale pan that's weighing this hack silver. So these weights that are found generally seem to be associated with hack silver or with uh, trading settlements. And I believe a weight has been found as a second part of the, the Wharton hoard, if you will. You get a couple of forms of weights. Cuboctahedral weights basically look like a, a die out of Dungeons and Dragons, so multi-sided. And you also get ones called oblate spheroids, and they kind of look a bit like a, a sort of squashed barrel. You get weights that are basically lumps of lead. You know, as I say, if you're happy with the weight, you're happy with the weight. Specific types of weight do develop, and they seem to be quite closely linked with the bullion economy being largely at that time based on on the hack silver of the type and the dirhams of the type that you find in the, the Wharton hoard. Thank you so much for digging through history with us today. There's a whole horde of other episodes for you to listen to where we talk about everything from sunshine recorders to stand-up comedians.